Imperial Yeast is at it again with their Imperialis project, creating yet another unique proprietary strain through the hybridization of two other yeasts. In addition to its excellent attenuation and rapid reduction of diacetyl, I-10 Mangostini contributes robust, ripe, tropical fruit, strawberry, and lychee notes to beer that complement modern hops. And as a Kvike hybrid, it can be fermented anywhere from 78 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 26 to 32 degrees Celsius without issue. Head over to imperialyeast.com to learn more about I-10 Mangostini and be sure to pick some up for your next batch of Fruity IPA. All the way back in December of 2014, less than a year after Brewlosophy got started, we sent out the very first iteration of our annual general homebrewer survey. At the time, homebrewing was on an absolute tear. It seemed like everyone knew someone who brewed at home. Online forums were super active. Homebrew shops were popping up all over the place to meet the demand. It was truly an amazing time to be a homebrewer. Well, we've continued to collect our annual data in hopes of better understanding what the modern homebrewer looks like. And while the industry has experienced some pretty major changes over the last decade, there are certain things that have remained rather constant. You're listening to the Brewlosophy Podcast. I'm your host, Marshall Schott, and joining me on this Brews Use episode to discuss the current state of homebrewing is contributor Will Lovell. Man, I look forward to these surveys every year. It's just really cool to go through and especially have like a little bit of historical data just to look back and get kind of these snapshots of what brewing's been going through over the last few years. So I'm super excited to talk about it. Yeah, since starting the podcast in 2017, we started this a couple years after starting the website. Uh, many listeners have asked us why we haven't done an episode going over our annual survey findings. Uh, and as I thought about that recently, I, I realized my hesitation was because I really don't want to spin these results as suggesting anything more than what they are are, we are very well aware that the information gleaned from this survey is just a slice of the total pool of all homebrewers, particularly those who fancy brewlosophy. However, there are certain things I'm pretty convinced can be generalized from this data. And either way, our point uh, in this Bruzeuse episode is just a, a blowhard a little bit about our views of the findings from the survey. So that's what we're going to be doing. As always, I do want to caution listeners that we tend to be a little less filtered on this series and may use some language you don't like. So keep that in mind. And considering the topic at hand, we may also share some opinions of ours that you may not agree with. And while we are perfectly okay with that on our end, we just want to be very clear that it's not our point to offend you or, or to hurt anybody's feelings, anything like that. So these are just our opinions. That's the purpose of this series. All right. If you're, if you like what we're up to and you want us to keep doing it, please consider becoming a patron of Brewlosophy by committing to a small monthly pledge over at patreon.com slash brewlosophy. You'll receive rewards like access to unpublished contributor recipes, unique discounts at yakimavalleyhops.com and an invitation to a monthly live Q&A session with somebody in the brewing world. Coming up in July of 2023, one of the most well-known voices in brewing, author of Brewing Classic Styles, and host of the Killer Brew Strong podcast on the Brewing Network, the one and only Jamil Sanishev. Uh, in addition to everything he's done for homebrewing, uh, Jamil founded Heretic Brewing back in 2010 and spent the better part of the last decade running that. Uh, and while he's no longer affiliated with the company, he's got a ton of experience brewing on both the homebrew and commercial scales. If you want to be a part of this awesome session, you're going to have to make your pledge at patreon.com slash brewlosophy no later than Friday, July 28th, 2023, as Jamil is going to be taking questions that Saturday, the 29th. All past sessions are stored on our private Patreon and Facebook pages so patrons can go back and watch them whenever they like. And just a quick aside, if it were not for our patrons, if it were, if it were not for the people who are doing this monthly pledge for us, we honestly wouldn't be able to keep doing it. So major cheers to everybody who has taken that step to support us uh, through Patreon. We really do appreciate it. 
Another really easy way to help us out is by using the links found at brewlosophy.com slash support when you're shopping online. Your experience won't change at all. We get a little kickback for the referral. And if you wouldn't mind letting us know what you think about this show by leaving a rating and review an Apple podcast or wherever it is you prefer to listen to podcasts, we'd appreciate that as well. High five to everyone who's taken the few seconds to do that already. Feedback is brought to you by Clawhammer Supply, who in addition to having a badass YouTube channel chock full of great brewing related content, sell what we believe to be are some of the best electric brewing systems on the market. If you've been considering making the move from propane to electric, you owe it to yourself to check out Clawhammer Supply. Whether you're uh, after a 120 volt five gallon unit or something bigger like their powerful 240 volt 10 gallon system, Clawhammer has got you covered. Learn more about everything they have to offer at clawhammersupply.com and don't forget to check out their YouTube channel as well. Adrian Boley hit us up with some thoughts after listening to episode 283, where we talked about the impact mash temperature has on non-alcoholic lager. Adrian said, I noticed you didn't mention the party guile method for NA brewing. You take the spent grain from a regular alcoholic brew, preferably around 5% ABV, and then do a second mash and brew. Uh, it's a method I've been playing around with when I brew American Pale Ale. I have two Brewzillas and mash in one at 152F, that's 67C, for 60 minutes with a 10-minute mash out at 168F or 76 C. Uh, then I immediately transfer the grains to the second Brusilla for a 60 minute mash at 168 F or 76 C. This is yielded OGs around 1007 with FG around 1001. Although none of them have been technically NA beers or non-alcoholic beers, they have all been in the 0.7 to 1% ABV range. Out of my three attempts, I've only been able to produce bitter bombs or a slightly grainy hop water. I like the idea of reusing grains and I plan on trying again when I brew a hazy IPA in a few weeks. I think the oats in the hazy recipe will help give the NA beer more body and mouthfeel. And I feel the higher OG and FG will also help. Yeah, that, that's a really fascinating. I'm not super familiar with uh, brewing NA beers because it's not something that I personally have had any interest in. Um, I, I'm, I'm super stoked for Co- Cade and guys like that that are actually um, trying to explore that area for philosophy. Um, but I do think it is an interesting concept. I don't know why it wouldn't work. I, I do share the you know, the concerns I would think you would either get a bitter bomb or kind of like a, a slightly grainy hop water. Um, but that's not too different than a lot of NA beers that I've had. So, um, you know, but, but, Carry on. Let us know how it works out for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you, Will. Uh, first off, I like your uh, kind of creative way of thinking, Adrian. But I think the one thing I appreciate more is your honesty. Uh, if you would have asked me how I think this method, the party guile method for making low or no alcohol beers would work, I would probably have guessed that the beers would turn out being bitter bombs or, you know, uh, a grainy hop water or whatever, however you, as you described it. I really think the key in these low and no alcohol beers is having enough malt in the recipe to make the finished product actually resemble beer, even though it doesn't taste exactly like it because you're kind of missing uh, a lot of the the more fermented malt sugars and such. Um, I, I'm, I don't make NA beer. I don't, I don't, I still have yet to have an NA beer that I would want to drink over sparkling water. That's just my own preference. Um, but from the people that I've talked to, Cade and such, who are, who are, you know, exploring this uh, low and no alcohol brewing, I think the key really is uh, having enough malt in there. And if you're taking all of the, you know, the sugars from your first runnings and then trying to party guile and just getting, you know, 1007. There's a reason it's at 1007 because there's just not that much left in those in those grains. So, uh, you know, again, 
I, I think it's rad. Keep exploring it. Uh, and if you come up with something, make sure to hit us up. Uh, and <laughs> I, I will be interested to hear how the hazy IPA NA beer turned out, but I have my, I have my assumptions as to how that's going to work. So thank you so much for the feedback, Adrian. If you have show feedback, you can send it to feedback at brewlosophy.com or drop us a line on social media. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Brewlosophy Show, so that you're notified when new episodes drop. Martin has put a ton of work into this project. We are very proud of it, and we think you're going to love it as well. To find the channel, you can search YouTube for Brewlosophy or go to youtube.com slash at The Brewlosophy Show. When we come back from this break, we'll be sharing our unabashed thoughts on the current state of homebrewing. There's no denying that stainless steel is the best material for brewing equipment, and Delta Brewing Systems offers some of the lowest prices on high-quality stainless gear, like the Firm Tank, which in addition to holding 8 gallons or 30 liters of work, comes with a domed lid to even further reduce the chances of a messy blow-off. Plus, it can hold up to 4 PSI of pressure for closed transfers. Delta Brewing Systems also has their own line of brew kettles, as well as one of the lowest-priced all-in-one electric brewing systems out there, and their prices are shockingly low. If you're in the market for legit stainless gear that won't break the bank, do yourself a favor and head over to DeltaBrewingSystems.com today. Chilling work can be a chore, especially after a long brew day, but not with the Exchillerator Counterflow Chiller, which can chill a 5-gallon or 19-liter batch of wort in 5 minutes or less, leading to a strong cold break and clear wort in the fermenter. Brewlosophy's Matt Del Fiaco uses the Exchillerator Max and absolutely loves it. In addition to improved chilling efficiency, every Exchillerator comes with a 5-year warranty that covers the entire chiller for manufacturer defects. If you're looking to up your chilling game and a CFC is right for you, head over to Exchillerator.com today. As every brewer knows, the best beer requires the best hops, which Yakima Valley Hops provides fresh from the source to brewers around the world, carrying everything from classics like Cascade to modern favorites like Galaxy and Mosaic, as well as other ingredients and gear, Yakima Valley Hops has it all. And don't forget to check out their new podcast, The Late Edition, where the YVH crew goes into depth on our favorite plant with industry experts. Head over to yakimavalleyhops.com now to see all they have to offer and subscribe to The Late Edition wherever it is you listen to podcasts. As anyone who has taken our annual general homebrewer survey knows, we ask a lot of questions on it. Some that are more specifically brewing based, while others are demographical intended to paint a portrait of what the modern homebrewer looks like. Seeing as there's far too much to address on this one-ish hour episode, we've selected some of what we believe to be the more interesting findings. And to keep things at least somewhat organized, we're going to focus on the specifically brewing related stuff in this first segment. So Will, before we get into the data, I want to spend a minute talking about the obvious, which is that homebrewing and really brewing in general, it seems, appears to be on a bit of a decline right now. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, why people seem to have less interest in brewing and beer in general. What do you think? So um, there's kind of two observations. One is more uh, statistical in nature that I have. And the other one's more observational. And so we'll start with the observational. Um, you know, I was I was at my local HEB, the local grocery store here in town the other day. And, and really, like the amount of like good craft beer on the shelf um, there, there's quite a bit of quality beer on on the shelf right now. And so to me, like if you can get it at the store, you know, maybe you have much less of a, a reason to brew it. Because back back in my day when I was doing this stuff, I remember, um, you know, brewing beer because I couldn't get the Belgian or the, you know, the kind of style that I wanted. And so if I can get it from my local HEB, 
you know, do I really need to to go out of my way to get a bunch of equipment and brew it myself? Yeah, that is a um, th- that's a reason that I've heard quite a bit that that the reason a lot of people were home brewing was because they didn't have access to the types of beers that they wanted to drink or even the even the commercial beers that they wanted access to. So when Russian River didn't distribute anywhere and you the only place you could drink Pliny the Elder was a special beer bar in San Francisco or you had to go to, to Santa Rosa, people would find, you know, a clone recipe, brew it for themselves or invent their own double IPA. And then that was kind of the joy of homebrewing. Um, that was never what drove me. For me, it was the very, I, I, what I would imagine is the same thing that motivates most people in any hobby. It was the productive aspect, that feeling that I created this thing. I had something to dig my fingers into. Um, so, so I, I get that as an argument, but I, I just, it's so difficult for me seeing just how quickly things are in decline right now. And there are some interesting, I think, um, uh, points of evidence that that show this. I mean, you just look, yeah, we've got more craft breweries now than we did 10 years ago. There's no denying that. But I've also noticed a lot of them are closing up their doors because they can't sustain. Um, you know, there's so so there's that. Uh, recently the the AHA announced that they're going to be combining the Homebrew Con with GABF and while I do not have a direct quote from anybody at the BA about why they're doing that, it seems pretty clear to me that a part of that is because of the lack of people who are attending both of these events and that it'd be, it, it, it would be difficult to keep them separate with so few people attending. Now, I don't know if that's the case. That's kind of some of the murmuring that I've heard you know, in, in homebrewing circles and such. But it's fascinating to me that it's going down because I would think you know, that this DIY thing that, that so many people were into, uh, they just don't seem to be as into it. And one of the, one of the points of evidence on our end, uh, is is pretty objective. In fact, is that for this survey, we usually get between about 22 and 2,600 people to respond to this on this survey. Uh, this year we got 1,191 and some, when I pointed that out, people were like, well, it's probably because you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Or why didn't I hear about it? We did everything the exact same. Uh, well, not the exact same. There were a few little concessions that we did make. Perhaps we'll get to that later. But still, almost a thousand fewer respondents. What that says to me is that a thousand fewer people just didn't see this or weren't interested or or no longer brewing. Um, and and that's that's just I don't know why that. What else that could be? It's not because we didn't you know spam it on Reddit. It's not because come on, you know this stuff has been out there. People know where to find it. It just blows my mind how 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 different things are this year than they've ever been. So, um, so one thing, like I said, I had anecdotal, but statistically speaking, I was, I was reading around and it does appear that Gen Z just doesn't drink as much as say the Gen X and boomer generations do. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. In in fact, for probably mental and physical health, it's a really great thing. Sure. Um, but, but, but honestly, like if, if they're not drinking as much and also millennials, um, they drink more than Gen Z, but still not as much as the Gen X and boomer generations do. And so maybe just drinking as a whole with younger people, maybe all the health messages got through and it's just, you know, drinking as a whole is on decline. Cause if you're not drinking beer, then why would you brew it? Well, and that kind of leads into another kind of uh, explanation as to where, you know, why things are going the, the, or trending the way that they are is that the advent of all of these other non beer alcoholic beverages as well. So in addition to people just not drinking as much alcohol, which, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that isn't, that, that's not a bad thing really, you know? Uh, but, but so to add to that, you've got a whole segment of people who just aren't interested in beer. They want cocktails, they want seltzer water, they, you know, or, or, 
alcoholic seltzer, uh, cider, mead, wine, stuff like that. So, so of course the, you know, if that's taking more of the market share as it were, then, you know, homebrewing is going to see that or brewing in general is going to see that when I go to any local brewery, uh, around my place, you better believe they have more than just beer on tap. And nowadays, you know, they've got their the variety of seltzers. Crone Wolf, no joke, has a slushy machine uh, behind behind their bar now. And they keep one of their popular, really sweet seltzer uh, waters in it. And and you can go and get basically, uh, you know, an icy with booze in it. I mean, like that's the, the way things are trending, I think. And that may be impacting uh, or one of the one of the things that's impacting, you know, interest in actually doing this whole thing in your garage. And and like, like you mentioned, in terms of generational stuff, so 61% of the people who responded to this year's survey reported that they've been brewing for seven years or more. You think about that, right? Seven years. That put, What's that? 2015? Uh, 2016 at this point? Only 18% of respondents reported three years or less of experience brewing beer. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's less than 20% of the people who took this have, have been brewing for three years or less. In 2019, when we put this survey out, 60% reported one to six years of experience brewing that just look at that shift. I mean, that's just wild. That that seems like a statistical phenomenon that you would just like hang on to all of those one to six years of experience people for that long and like still have 61 ish percent, you know, that's within a margin of error. Right. So that's, so maybe just folks, uh, they, they stuck around, like they, they survived COVID. They still been doing this hobby and it's just, you know, becomes a part of their lifestyle. But that, that is a wild statistic to me and then as far as the liquor store thing like i love going to the liquor store and being able to buy gin and tonics in a can that's pretty awesome <laughs> i i don't i've yet to have one in a can that i like more than what i make at home just because it's so easy to make at home but yeah i i can't complain either i like white claw i like all of this new stuff that's coming well most of the new stuff that's coming out um but yeah yeah it's it's so weird because it's like this segment it almost makes it look like there's this segment of people who have just kind of stuck with brewlosophy being that you know we're the ones who put this survey out uh, and and it's just kind of drifting along with us, you know, year after year, temporarily speaking. And I just I don't think that's actually what's happening. But it is very it is it's very telling that in a survey of, of, of you know, nearly twelve hundred homebrewers that only 18 percent of them have been in this for three years or less. I mean, back when back when we first did the survey, I believe it was 2017 uh, may have been 15. In fact, uh, I think it was something it was it was far more dispersed. Uh, we'll put it that way. I think something like 35 percent had been in for three years or less um, with a with a fairly equal distribution, you know, f- for all other ages or other years of experience. It's just wild to me. Something that you have some experience with will as one of the leadership members of uh, the brew club. In fact, you were involved with that before you were an official member of uh, Brewlosophy is homebrew club membership and and it, you know involvement in that. Now, this one's interesting to me because I feel like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, really the only outlet people had to communicate with with other homebrewers were local clubs. Yeah, there were meetups and such, but those usually turned into some form of a club. Um, we've got some interesting stats on on the uh, how homebrew clubs are doing, at least in 2023 at this point. Right. Um, so I, I'm seeing that 50 56% aren't in any club. 29% are affiliated with a local club. 8% are affiliated with an online club. And then the last 8% is affiliated with both local and online, which is kind of where I sit. And I just want to tell you, there's no reason not to be in a club because, again, with the online stuff, you can join the Brew Club anytime. It's free. We have a really active Discord channel. There's not a day that people aren't discussing things on that Discord channel. Um, but that said, I'll, 
you know, after the shameless plug, uh, with all that information shifting, um, you know, I think it's part of it's where do we get our information now? Like as you, as you kind of alluded to, we've gone from mostly like, you know, you get your, uh, Papazian book or your John Palmer, how to brew book and you, you, you read it. And then, then you get all the rest of your information from a local homebrew shop or from the local brew club. You know, there were still homebrew chats been around for, a a long time homebrew talk uh, it's been around for a long time but you know now we're we're shifting to most of your information i can go on youtube right now and go watch the apartment brewer whoever and get like grain to glass videos over and over and over again and if you find the right video you can get it on the system that you bought that like somebody's showing you how to brew in your electric all-in-one that you just bought and so again the the need for some of these outlets is more social now than it is informative. Although there's a lot of information you can glean from these people. And it's really great. Uh, like again, with this online thing with discord, uh, for the brew club, like I can just, I have a question I just ping these people. And all of a sudden I got like, you know, a lot of eyes on it to, to give me experiences, opinions and everything else. Yeah, that is that it's 56% aren't in any club at all. Now, this is a question that we we added for the 2023 survey. It'll be on there in future iterations as well. So we can't compare it to, you know, past survey results, but 56% just aren't affiliated with any club. I would never have guessed it would be that high. Um, I, you know, I, I do think COVID probably played a role in this uh, because, you know, those three years, uh, I was talking to somebody who's a president of a, who I think there was a president of a club in their local region and uh, was telling me that the, the, the club was doing well, COVID hit, they decided to do the online thing where they were doing uh, monthly like beer share, virtual beer shares. They'd go and like two or three guys would organize drop off points and then they'd go distribute them out to the other, you know, 10 dudes who, who were involved in this. And that lasted for like six months. And then it started to like, oh, let's just do it every three months. And then that just never happened. And now the club is no longer. So, you know, when you when you don't have that face-to-face, when you don't have uh, that experience, I think it can really impact the way people view or their interest in being a part of a club like that. Yeah, I'm really lucky. So the local club that I hang out with is the San Antonio Cerveceros. And there's a lot of really great people, a lot of really great brewers there. And I think we're pretty lucky. We have a, a pretty solid turnout like every month. We have you know, pretty solid beer share there. Um, and we, we have both brewers and people that are just beer enthusiasts alike. And so I, I feel pretty lucky that the service arrows is here in town and still going strong. Uh, but, but I could totally see COVID, especially in places with really strict lockdown measures, how that could totally just, just kill, you know, a brew club. I mean, it it obviously killed several breweries and brew shops. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, that's a huge bummer. And I think that really does, um, again, when you're looking at the kind of gross state of, homebrewing in 2023 that the the club membership thing is is a to me is kind of a i guess an analog of how things are going in general um we're gonna move past talking about kind of the decline stuff and just look at the things that brewers are doing uh and and the way that they're approaching it back when i started homebrewing again this is 20 years ago so things were just wildly different back then no but if you made a hazy ipa it just means that you 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 know you packaged your ipa too early uh there was no there was no spinning off of that it was but the unfiltered was very popular to talk about, but uh, you know when I got into it, people were still really excited about Belgian ale. They were making, you know, I loved brewing British ale back then. Um, I, IPA was the thing; people liked to brew IPA and all of that. But there was kind of this, at least my experience was that it was really well rounded. People had this, you know, multiple interest in get, in brewing beers that they can't have access to. You know, we're not in England, we're not in Belgium, so let's see if we can make a better example than what we're getting, you know, dusty off the shelves at the liquor store type of thing. 
thing. Um, in 2023, 47% of respondents said that the beers that they're brewing most or the styles that they're brewing most frequently are IPA and American pale ale. So hoppier pale ales, that's down from 56% in 2019. So a whopping 11% difference. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. IPA, pale ale, hoppy beers, still obviously probably the most, most popular styles that, that home brewers want to make. But get this one. 15% of respondents said that the beers that they're brewing most frequently are pale lager, which is up from just 6% uh, four years ago. Uh, people are so interested in lager brewing nowadays, and I think that is a fantastic thing. Oh, I actually love that. Um, you kind of have seen that industry-wide, though, where loggers, um, you know, like Abbey Jack up in the New England area, some of these these logger-only brewing uh, outfits and breweries out there that are just, like, really bringing craft logger to the forefront. And you're seeing kind of a rise in, you know, loggers even at some of the local breweries here, which is absolutely amazing. And I think it's somewhat in a response to kind of you know, not to trash talk hazy IPA or anything, but it's somewhat of a response to that because um, hazy IPA is somewhat of a, a controversial style in a lot of people's minds. Like if you're old school and like the, the clear West Coast style, uh, you may not be into the the hazy IPA. Um, I know that I, I enjoy a good representation of the style, but I'm not the biggest hazy guy. Um, so I love seeing all these pale loggers come into the forefront. And I Again, I, I used to brew a lot of Belgians and English ales. I find myself brewing a lot more lagers um, because, again, it's just crisp, refreshing, delicious, and kind of somewhat opposite of what you can get out and about. Yeah. Well, what do you think, uh, just spitballing, you know, these are your opinions. Why do you think people are brewing more pale lagers today than they were just four or five years ago? Um, well, I, again, like hazy is kind of this thing, and, and so it's, to me, like a, a refreshing pale lager is almost like the the opposite of a a hazy IPA in some ways because right. you have this crisp, clean, refreshing drink versus you know um, a lot of hazies. You know they they to me like they don't pair well with food because they kind of have this like aftertaste that kind of lingers because of the water profile and some of that stuff. And so if you just want something crisp, easy, refreshing, like pale lager is just like the almost the antithetical to that. And so it, it may be yeah. just kind of the and you see more of these. Um, IPLs that are out there, like I know uh, locally, I've I've seen a lot more IPLs come out. Um, you know, uh, Roadmap has their uh, minor in Italian, which is like their um, Italian pilsner that's like a dry hopped Italian pils, and it's super crispy, delicious with a nice hop character. You know, um, Second Pitch here locally has their Party at the Neighbors, which is an India Pale Lager that you know I can get at the grocery store shelves. It's fantastic. It's hard not to pick up a six pack every time I go by, <laughs> and it's just again these these fresh, refreshing like. Uh, they they clean cleanse your palate really well, and they pair a lot better with food, in my opinion, than say the the hazy that just kind of lingers in there for a long time. Yeah. So for you, it sounds like you 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 think that the interest in brewing lager among homebrewers, at least, is a, kind of a reaction to uh, the other popular stuff that that's out there right now. It's kind of a, a reversion back to the, the simpler uh, styles of beer. Um, I, I get that, and I think that that plays into it. I think the bigger thing is that people are less afraid to brew loggers nowadays. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of experimentation, a lot of people reporting uh, positive results from doing things that aren't the traditional way that make 
uh, making these styles of beers more approachable and more doable. I mean, when I first started brewing, it was like, even the homebrew shop was like, oh, but you're never going to make a lager. Like that takes way too much work. There's like, you need a lot of equipment to do that. And that was basically, you know, I took that, uh, I embraced that idea for over a decade before actually trying my hand at brewing these beers the traditional way. And then I started obviously kind of exploring different ways to ferment them, uh, the, the, the impact actual lagering time has and stuff like that. And now I can turn, you know, a, a, what I think is, and, and most of my friends think, uh, you know, is a delicious uh, German Pilsner or something. I turn one of those around in the same time I can a, a Blondale, you know, using these different techniques that may be blasphemous to, to the dogmatists, but it works. And I think a lot, I wonder if that's not just, uh, you know, playing a role in why more people are interested uh, or are actually brewing more pale lager. Um, another stat from this one in terms of the beer styles that I thought was interesting is uh, the, the number of people who said that their primary styles brewed are wild and sour beer. Um, you know, 2019, you, you got to remember, this was pre-COVID, you know, just a few years after uh, Tonsmeyer released American Wild, uh, you know, American Sour Beer. Um, the, the whole sour thing was just on the up and up. COVID hits and it seems like that whole, th- I would have thought, thought people would have taken more time to like, okay, you know what? I got all this time on my hands now. I'm going to, I'm going to invest some time in making these long, you know, traditional style sour beers. 2% of respondents said that that's what their, their main focus is on down from 5% in 2019. And I think it was around five, 6% in 2015 on that survey as well. Um, that's, that's fascinating to me. It's like that whole segment of brewing seems to be losing interest a little bit. Um, and I wonder if it's not for some of the same reasons people were avoiding making loggers earlier, you know, that it seems like it requires more work, that it, that it takes a, a bigger investment of time and energy. Well, um, you know, it, the, there are quite a bit of like sour dogmatists out there that don't like think that kettle souring or whatever we want to call that quick souring method is like a real sour beer. And it, it seems to does, does have does have a lot of parallels with that whole you got to make a traditional cold fermented lager kind of thing. Um, and so to me, like it, it kind of makes sense because if you're going to have that kind of dogmatist, like, you know, you're told you need separate fermentation vessels so you don't get like cross contamination, need your own like bottling or beer you know beer keg lines to to you know get all this equipment to the side it almost sounds like you need absolutely double of everything just so you can brew these like wild sour beers without messing up your normal brewery and so that that may be a point of contention that that like kind of like narrows it down to a smaller field of people yeah the you know i I don't go to the to the beer store very often um but when i what you know in the times that i do i have noticed some things changing it used to be that i could walk into a bevmo or a total wine and there would be a pretty solid uh you know commercial sour beer selection and that seems to be dwindling quite a bit uh i'm not finding that as much and i wonder if if that is a if that kind of is a sign that interest in sour beers is reducing or if they're you know um i guess the, the whole supply demand thing. There's this demand for hazy beers, for all of these hoppy beers, and and even for pale lagers and 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 amber and dark lagers and stuff right now. That that's taking up more shelf space, and maybe that is also kind of directing homebrewer interests and in what they're making as well. I don't know, uh, but I do think it's interesting. Uh, all right, let's spend some time talking about different approaches to actually brewing beer. I think this is a fun one. Uh, again, it gives it a kind of a, a fun uh, idea or view of what modern homebrewers are doing these days. Uh, and we're going to do a little bit of comparing to, to past surveys as well. Uh, 97% of respondents reported that they currently brew using all grain methods, 97%, which has not changed much over the years. 
But what is interesting to me is about two-thirds of these people started with some form of extract before converting to all grain. Now, we don't have the ability to, to do these like, uh, you know, factorial analysis and stuff like that. But when you consider the experience level, right, that people reported being on this survey, that's primarily that seven to 10-year range of, of brewing, and that most of them, two-thirds of them, about 66%, started with extract and are now brewing, 97% are now brewing all grain. It, that is a very quick transition, at least you know, compared to what, what we were doing back when I started brewing. You, you, I brewed extract for almost a decade before jumping into all grain because of how scary all grain sounded and all the, you know, the, the, the way that it was talked about. I was like, oh my God, that's going to be so difficult. Um, but there were, there were some new methods that were coming out you know, 15 years ago. The whole batch sparge thing just blew the whole homebrewing world up because everybody could do all grain just as easily you know, as an extract batch. 97% of people are brewing all grain. I think that's fantastic. Um, and, and again, it just shows, again, we have more experienced brewers on the whole because, again, there's not a very large percentage of like less than three years running. And I do think still seven, eight years ago, the main way of getting people into the hobby was definitely go extract with steeping grains, get your process down and then and then, you know, shift over to all grain. But but I think with current methods that we're going to talk about here in just a second, the shift to all grains been made even easier, even simpler, even simpler than batch barging, honestly. Yeah. Uh, no joke. I c completely agree. So what all grain method do you use currently right now, Will? Um, so I am one of the 43% uh, that uses an electric all-in-one <laughs> system. As am I. I think that is the uh, you're going to start to hear see more and more of that. And this is one of those uh, one of those stats that we've been fascinated to follow along with. Uh, little little side story. When we did the first survey uh, in, back in 2015, and we you know we're coming up with the survey questions, and one of them was what all grain method do you use? And it was like you know fly and continuous sparge, batch sparge, no sparge, brew in a bag. That was it. And we released a survey, and we got so much feedback of people being like, well, what if you you know what if you brew on uh, on your stovetop uh, inside, and you know it's electric, or you have an electric kettle that you use, and yada yada. And we were like, what? Nobody does that like very few people are doing that but yeah it was you know an uh, oversight on our part we'll include it in the next survey um just in 2018 so five years ago just 13 percent of respondents now this was i think 2400 respondents reported brewing on an electric system it has gone up to 43 percent that is wild to me. The people who are producing these, you know, fairly inexpensive, easily accessible electric brewing systems, these all-in-one systems, whether that's Clawhammer or Grainfather or Bruzilla, you know, whatever it is, my goodness, they're doing a good job of getting these in the hands of homebrewers right now. And I think that's cool. Well, and and why not? Like, I mean, my my buddy who's a neighbor around the corner, he wanted to get into brewing and and while I showed him how to do it on my electric all-in-one. We took the exact same methodology, went around the corner, bought a $15 bag off Amazon, <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden he had a Bruna bag on a large pot on his stovetop, and he's off to the races. So, like, really, I you know, Bruna bag, electric all-in-one, I mean, if you combine those two together, that that's, like, over 50% of what people are doing, Yep, which is, to me, like, it makes total sense because... Why would you go back to like having this cooler that's actually kind of a pain in the butt to clean out? It's kind of a pain to do all these things. So you can do everything in a single pot, in a single all-in-one system, and have way less cleanup, a way simpler time. And it's just, it, it's super easy. Like like getting into brewing has never been easier or cheaper because of what's going on right now. Yeah, I remember back, you know, I'd been batch sparging for maybe five years or so. And um, somebody was like, well, why don't you just do brew in a 
bag. You can do full vault. You're already doing no sparge in your in your mash tun, uh, so you can do no sparge. You know, in your kettle instead. Uh, it's just as easy. You just remove the grains from the from the wort as opposed to the other way around. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And I brewed one batch doing that, and it was so easy. Didn't have to clean a big cooler. Didn't even have to get my big cooler out. And then you know, I remember telling myself like, well, I'll do batch sparge when I'm like brewing for competition because that's going to produce the better beer. Uh, yeah, once we did some comparisons and we've got, you know, batch sparge versus versus brewing a bag experiments out there. I've, I have not brewed batch sparge since then and, and likely never will again, unless I'm helping somebody out. Everything else, every other approach has been on the decline. Uh, speaking of batch sparge, uh, five years ago, 30% of respondents reported that they use the batch sparge method this year, just 15% reported that. So you can kind of see right there that a lot of the, a lot of that 15%, uh, that left batch sparge likely moved into these electric all-in-one brewing systems. I think that's that's fascinating. Uh, in terms of lager fermentation, 44% prefer fermenting lagers at traditional, you know, cool temps. Uh, very fascinating. And I love that. So, so of, you know, we're seeing this rise in interest in homebrewers making lager beers. You got, it's not quite half, but you got 44% of plurality who are still preferring those cool lager temperatures uh, or fermentation temperatures when making their lagers. Another 20% reported preferring fermenting warm. I'm among that group uh, compared to just 15% in 20 so a 5% bump there. And then 24% uh, 24% said that they use the quick logger method versus 41% just five years ago. That's fascinating to me. I remember, uh, you know, one of the big things that I, that I wrote about was how I ferment loggers. You know, I pitch cool, let it ferment a couple days, and I start ramping the temperature up uh, right around the same time. You know, uh, Tasty McDole, RIP there, uh, was talking about the same thing. He and I actually used to chat about this and, and how neither of us really owned this method, but people would would apply like the tasty method or the brewlosophy quick lager method or whatever. It was just an idea that I had and he he got it from uh, Nartsis, I believe. But yeah, a lot of people aren't using that anymore. I think they're realizing that you can just skip the whole cold pitch thing and either ferment it warm all, all the way together or just keep it cool. And just to recap, uh, quick lager, um, just kind of a thousand foot view to, you know, explanation from the guy that isn't trying to claim he invented this method uh, <laughs> is, you know, you're basically, um, you know, when you pitch your, your yeast under your wort, you're uh, pitching an appropriate starter. It's roughly 50F or 10C. Again, this is a thousand foot view. Um, after your beer reaches about 50% attenuation, which can take, you know, roughly a week, maybe four days, maybe eight days, depends on the gravity of the beer. Then you start ramping it up uh, over a few days to get up to like 65F or 18C and then let it ferment out and finish up for another week or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we still have the uh, the, uh, the approach that I did. Uh, it's still written up. It's still on the website. People still view it. It's one of our most popular static pages that we've got on the website, but it seems like people aren't using it as much. I haven't heard much about it, um, but but you know, I, I haven't heard much about like quick loggering uh, very much anymore, but I do think, um, you know, for some reason, psychologically, I mean, we talked about loggers and how more accessible they were like 20% prefer fermenting warm. I wonder if like, you know, the popularity of spunding and like the psychological thing that people believe that that, that does, or, or maybe it does literally do something, but like how that <laughs> reduces esters, not that we've been able to prove it, but I wonder if spunding has made it seem more approachable to do warm fermentation, you know, and that's why that's gone up a little bit, but, um, I haven't done a quick lager or a traditional lager in years at this point. So I'm with the, the warm fermentation camp. Yeah. The whole, the whole idea that fermenting under pressure, uh, you know, I, I, I have my opinions on that. I think, I think people needed an excuse for fermenting warm. And so they're like, Oh, if we do it under pressure, then we can, you know, it, it validates this, this warm fermentation, but of course you can't, we haven't been able to prove that fermenting under pressure has any impact perceptibly whatsoever. So that is for another episode though. All right. On to something that I was, a, a kind of, I guess another thing that was pretty meaningful 
Full to Brew philosophy in the beginning, uh, right after we started the website, I shared this method that I use for cleanly harvesting yeast. And I would overbuild starters. And then I, you know, by overbuild, I would rather than building it up to what the calculator says I should, I'd build it up to about 100 billion cells more than that. And then I would harvest that extra yeast so I could reuse it later on really nice and clean. People were using it like crazy. 59% of people in 2023, 59% forego harvesting yeast altogether, meaning that they're using fresh yeast, fresh yeast with each batch. This is up from 46%. It's 13% difference in 2018. And it was even, I believe it was even higher or lower uh, in that number was a little bit lower in 2015. People just don't seem to be harvesting yeast as much. They're kind of cool going and spending a little extra money ostensibly on uh, fresh yeast for each batch. So um, that's not really surprising to me. If you go look at uh, the survey and you look at like, I think it's 45% of people prefer using dried yeast or that's their dominant yeast that they use. And so to me, like dry yeast is so much cheaper. Honestly, the catalog in the last five years of dry yeast that's out there through Lollamon and whoever else, I mean, even White Labs has a dry yeast strain now, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, so, so there's a lot of dry yeast happening right now and and why not the shelf life's pretty great um you know the only kind of downside is it still doesn't have the variety of liquid yeast so i i could totally see you know ease of use ease of, you know get getting dry yeast keeping it in the fridge for however long and then you know why would you repitch it when it's like a half to a third of the cost of liquid so just you know no need to to just get a fresh batch every time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I think those two, uh, you know, those two data points together kind of indicate something And for the people who are harvesting yeast, whereas 27% of respondents said that they use the whole overbuilding starters thing in 2018, just 14% said that, said that they're doing so now. So about half as many respondents. I think that's fascinating. Uh, people just aren't using these methods as much anymore. Uh, again, kind of an interesting look at how things shift and how, how the hobby is evolving. Uh, what we're getting interested in, like electric brewing and what we're moving away from. One thing uh, that brewers, are, I'm really happy to see brewers are maintaining interest in and taking more seriously. Uh, only 15% of respondents reported making no water adjustments at all. And that's down from 30% in 2018. So people are taking you know their water chemistry far more seriously now. Perhaps you know with the understanding that by adjusting uh, certain mineral levels that they are they're 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 liking the outcome more that their beers are tasting more the way that they want them to I think that's pretty rad well and and when you have apps like uh, Brewfather which is what most of Brewlosophy uses like you don't have to go to some uh, separate spreadsheet like brewing water to like kind of figure out your water chemistry anymore it's just all baked in right in with that calculator and so it's it's never been easier to adjust water chemistry yeah absolutely uh, alright we're just going to run down through some of the more interesting uh, opinions that brewers hold about specific things in the same way that we ask uh, on the survey it's just kind of uh, line by line real quick 92% of respondents on the 2023 survey believe that cold side oxidation is detrimental to beer. That's awesome. 92%. Uh, it, and, and I'm one of those 92. I, I did not believe it back in 2015. I am now a hardcore believer that cold side oxidation is bad. Uh, 74% believe that all grain brewing produces better beer than extract. 32% feel decoction has a noticeable impact, while 18% disagree with that statement and 50% are neutral on the topic. So 68% of people when it comes to decoction are, are either neutral to not thinking it has any impact whatsoever. I think that's fascinating. 63% of respondents disagree with the idea that macro or BMC beer is evil, which is similar to findings in 2018. So Miller Lite, we're not going to get lambasted by everybody for, for admitting our love of that beer. So. <laughs> 
Well, I was on my way to Target to pick up a six pack of Bud Light, and I was starting to think a little <laughs> bit about this question. Um, but but honestly, like after the whole AB InBev kind of like um, you know recent event that happened, I wonder if that sixty three percent has changed at all. Huh? Yeah, that's that is interesting. I, I don't I I don't know. Um, what I think is because we got these results before the uh, we got these results before that whole thing happened, right? I I think it might have been right around the same time actually that it happened that we were collecting data on this. Um, I'm not entirely sure though. And uh, what one thing that I think is is we need to be mindful of. You know, when we when we look at the decline in brewing and beer overall, home brewing included in that. You know, the, the people who are currently drinking Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light are the ones that we want to bring into the fold, or they're the, they're the ones who are probably most likely to be interested, not all of them, but a segment of that, uh, you know, the people who are just getting into, into beer and they're drinking that stuff now, a segment of those folks are going to be interested in making their own and, and drinking other styles and whatnot by making fun of them, basically. <laughs> what, I don't think we're doing any favors to ourselves, uh, to homebrewing overall, by trying to lambast those people and segregate them out. Uh, no, I get that people have their political opinions about big beer and corporations and all of that stuff, but we need to be mindful of the the impact that our opinions and the way we talk are having you know, on, on this hobby that we all love so much. I think that's my opinion. So there is a bit of a snapshot of how modern homebrewers are doing things. While certain numbers are kind of a bummer, like the number of homebrewers who aren't affiliated with a club and such, I think it's pretty cool to see that most brewers these days are taking things that we've shown have a noticeable impact on beer more seriously like cold side oxidation and water chemistry. When we come back from this break, we're going to be shifting our gears away from how brewers are brewing these days and more toward uh, what these brewers look like. After a long brew day, the last thing I want to do is waste more time chilling wort. I've tried so many different options and ultimately I settled on the super efficient immersion chillers made by Jaded Brewing. With the King Cobra and Hydra, I'm able to chill my entire batch of work from boiling to just a few degrees above groundwater temperature in as little as six minutes. If an immersion chiller is right for your brewery, then do yourself a favor and check out all of the rad options Jaded Brewing has to offer at jadedbrewing.com and be sure to let them know Brewlosophy sent you. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supplies, the largest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. They offer exclusive malts, yeast, and more from local artisans, as well as award-winning recipe kits. They also sell professional brewing gear and cask equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Most ingredients are available by the ounce, plus Atlantic Brew Supply has an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew. Orders are processed same day, and two-day shipping is guaranteed for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order using promo code. BrewPod. That's B-R-U-P-O-D at AtlanticBrewSupply.com. All right, a little disclaimer before we get started on this segment. I, as a middle-aged, white, moderately hairy dude, accept that I will never be able to fully relate with people who don't share these characteristics of mine. This isn't just something I'm saying to sound, you know, noble or good. I've spent the better part of two decades studying the human condition. It's what I do for a living, attempting to understand the experiences of people who are different than me. And I, uh, you know, what I've come to accept is that as good as it is to put in the effort, uh, there's folly in presuming that I'll ever 
ever fully get it, right? I, I want to be, always be open to that, but I also don't want to, uh, I, I think, sound like a doof by saying, yeah, oh, I get it. I get where you're coming from. Um, the truth of the matter is that I never will, being in the position that I am. So I have a feeling some listeners are likely rolling their eyes right now, which is totally fine. You all have the power to cut us off whenever you like. You can just press pause. You can skip over this. Um, but we want to talk about this stuff because I think it's fascinating, and I think it gives us an idea of where things are at uh, in homebrewing in general. Um, while the data we share in this segment is ultimately just numbers, our opinions on some of it may, well, I, you know, I don't know. It may rub people the wrong way. I, I don't know. Um, but that is not our point. Again, we're not trying to offend anybody. We're just kind of uh, you know off the cuff commenting on some of these findings that I find fascinating. So, Will, let's jump right in to how uh, homebrewers look these days by sharing some of their demographics. First off, I think it's important to note that 64% of respondents uh, to this survey came from the United States. I think that's to be expected since we're based out of the United States. Uh, but that means that 30, what is it, 36% were from other countries around the world. And that's, you know, uh, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, um, you know, mainland Europe, stuff like that. Uh, and we did get a, a pretty wide swath of, of respondents from different countries. I think there were even a few from, you know, the Baltics or uh, Russia, stuff like that as well. So there's, there's a decent representation, but 64% are from the United States. Now, of, of the nearly 1,200 people who responded to this, 98% of them reported being male. 98%. To just 2% reported being something other than male. Um, I think that's fascinating. And then 96% reported being heterosexual. 94% reported being white. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So you've got straight white dudes who are, who are homebrewing. Um, what is it about this hobby that you feel uh, attracts just people who look like you and me, Will? <laughs> I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, and that that's the same thing here. Like, um, again, I can only see through the lens that I see the world through and, and everything else is just a discussion to reach understanding about how other people's lenses are uh, acclimated. So um, so thank you for starting off that way. But um, honestly, I, I don't know if it's like cultural. Like I know like a lot of brewing tradition starts in Germany and the UK and we associate it. And, and maybe that's the majority coming from there. But that doesn't seem to really hold too much water because honestly, let's let's just look around and like every, you know, Japan has a great brewing culture. There's some great beers coming out of Japan. There's some great beers coming out all over the world. So I don't know how well that argument holds up water. Um, yeah. You know, I do think it's important though, that we kind of talk about why, you know, we're talking about it being kind of a homogenous representation here of just being a bunch of bearded white dudes, middle-aged <laughs> white dudes, yeah. uh, which is you and I, uh, but you know, I've heard people say, why do we even care about diversity? People that are somewhat, you know, uh, have some influence in this, this homebrewing scene. But to me, it's really about like kind of this, uh, you know, I, I live in San Antonio and, and here we have kind of a confluence of, of cultures, which is really an amazing thing. The things it does for people's perspective, the things it does for food, like the creativity you have by having kind of this, uh, not only just, you know, Mexican influence, but the German and all these other influences that are coming into the city, you get some really great culinary and food scenes. And so for the sake of innovation, for the sake of something new, you need younger people to kind of come in and, and invigorate that. You need people of a different ethnicity, of a different, uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, different background to come in and, you know, kind of speak into that. You need people of different, um, of the opposite sex, of a different sex to come in and kind of speak into that. And the more of that we have kind of speaking into this hobby, the more innovation, the more creativity we can have. And, and I, I really think that's a kind of an interesting thing. And so, 
you know, the only other thing I have is like, while it may not be conscious, maybe there is a process of, of in-grouping and out-grouping, you know, like attracts like kind of thing. That's not necessarily a conscious thing that we, we focus on, but that does tend to happen uh, in certain groups. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well said. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, the the group of, of brewers that I kind of cut my chops with locally here in Fresno. And, and similar to San Antonio, we have a very, very strong Hispanic cultural influence here. Um, and I can tell you this, that that in the in, when I was a, a more involved in the local brewing scene as a, as a club member and such, and all my, you know, all my buddies were the board members and all of that. Uh, I can, I can tell you very confidently that there's not a single one of them who wouldn't tell you that they think it would be great to have more diversity in brewing. Uh, all of us agree with that. Uh, we think it would be awesome to have, have more females, uh, brewing beers. We think it would be rad to have, you know, uh, more, more people who, who aren't white brewing beers and getting involved. Uh, that being said, every single one of us, white dudes. Uh, and, and so I, it's so weird because, uh, I, I, my brain wants to try to, to, to like spin it as being that we have created a barrier objectively, like it was intentional, but I, I have not seen that piece of it, but there's clearly something about this, about beer, about brewing that is more appealing to people who look like you and me will, um, than it is to other people. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know what to do to change that. So we, I was sitting around with, um, this was back, unfortunately, House of Pendragon's tap room closed down over here. They kind of got bought out. Their spot got kind of bought out by the neighboring business. Um, but many years ago, my wife and I were hanging out over there uh, and there was a there was a bunch of other couples. And so, you know, you had all these guys who homebrew and then their wives. And that's kind of the joke, right? It's like, oh, you know, that the, the wives support their homebrewing husbands or whatever. And we started talking about like, okay, you like beer. Have you ever made your own beer? And I was, ask, I was asking, my buddy's wife. She's like, no, 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 no interest. Okay. What about you? You know, she's like, no, I have no interest. That's, that's kind of, you know, Sean's thing or that's Wes's thing or whatever. It was like, but you guys both like beer. Why don't you, what's keeping you from going out and getting involved in the same way that, that your husbands are involved? You know? Uh, well, they're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, why we're not. I just have no interest in doing that. You know, I'd rather just drink what you guys make. I said, okay, I respect that. But what, what can we do? Like, what, is there anything that I can do to make this more appealing to you so that you get more involved, so that you want to go to things like homebrew con? And one of the responses, and I had to take it seriously because it came, you know, from one of these women that I was asking about their lack of interest in homebrewing is she said, how would it feel if I came to you and I asked you to come along a girl's trip with us to the beauty store? You know, would, would you ever willingly go and do that and to try to get involved in that whole thing? And I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with guys going to beauty stores or anything like that, but I have no interest in it. And she kind of spun it as in this way of like, you're free to do it, but we, you know, we, she's speaking of her and her girlfriends there. We just don't want to, we have no interest. And the, the point, the way that I took that wasn't that a oh, women just don't like to brew. I think that'd be the stupid thing to elucidate out of that. But what I took it as is the harder you push for people who may not be terribly interested in it, uh, to, to have them be interested at the same level as us, the more unappealing it can actually become. There's like this psychological reversion to being, being told that you need to be more interested in something. And that got me really thinking like, well, how then as you know, I've got a history in sales and, and direct, you know, telling people they have to buy the thing never works that or it does but it doesn't work nearly as well as other approaches right so i'm thinking well what can we do then without directly trying to get people who aren't white middle-aged dudes 
interested in this hobby without without making it feel forceful like oh we need you here and no no we want you here you know how do we do that i really don't know i can't come up with any ideas and it seems like all of the attempts that whether it's the brewers association or some other you know affiliated thing that the attempts that we're making aren't really making much headway at this point and maybe that is has to do with kind of the decline overall in brewing but what can be done i love seeing that we've got more you know women or people of color who are doing this thing. And I, I do everything I can to support it. But my goodness, 98%, 96% heterosexual, 94% white. That is just crazy to me. Yeah, it, it really is uh, kind of an odd thing. But, you know, we can't really like kind of piggybacking on your story with with the wives like you know you can't really force like equity of, of outcomes like you can't make people be interested in this. It's kind of like in the, you know, more career oriented stuff like you know most of the nurses i don't know if it's 80 or 90 percent i can't remember statistic off my head are 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 female so there's obviously something about that uh occupation that 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 job that attracts more women than men and so obviously there's probably something about this hobby that that attracts more men than women and and even in my local homebrew club we have um several ladies that are craft beer enthusiasts that don't necessarily brew and um i i wish i would have an opportunity to talk to a couple of them just to see what 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 that barrier is there, but they're, they're hanging out with the guys at the local homebrew club. I feel like they're very well received and, and I know that they're very well loved and respected there. Um, you know, uh, Amy is awesome. She brings like Pliny the elder from when she travels and like shares it around the the club, which is like, it's like (laughs) a unicorn here here in this part of the world. And so I know everybody like loves and adores those ladies that are in that group, but like, what is the, the barrier that keeps them from getting into the hobby? I don't know, but they obviously love good beer. So yeah. Oh, and, and that's the thing is I don't think that there has anything to do with our sex. I, I really don't think that's the case. Like you mentioned earlier, I think it has everything to do with culture and, and the subculture that we've created around certain things, right? Um, you know, it, beer is generally, I read this article a few years ago that was fascinating that was just sentiment towards alcoholic beverages, right? And uh, beer is widely viewed as being like a dude's drink. Like that's, you know, it's a guy's thing. Girls will drink, you know, girls will drink wine or they'll drink uh, uh, wine coolers. And that's who they market those things to, right? That's who uh, White Claw is marketed to on a large scale or or Mike's Hard Lemonade. But beer is marketed towards guys. And that's been an issue, I think, in the commercial world for a while is, you know, people, there have been some, some great craft breweries who got some heat for their marketing of certain beers towards, you know, the, or I'll, I'll call it masculine marketing, if you will. Um, that denigrates, you know, women in some way. And so it's good to see that we're shifting in those ways. Uh, Again, I don't, I don't know what, you know, from my position, uh, being the the person that I am, that I was born as, I don't know what we can do to make it more welcoming. I had a question one time where somebody asked, I mean, I've been asked this a few times, Hey, why, you know, why don't you have any women on the Brewlosophy crew? Uh, I'll tell you what, I've tried. <laughs> I've talked to people. I've thrown out ideas. And every time I do that, first off, the, the pool is very small, uh, you know, of, of people, one of, of, of women in general uh, who are homebrewing. And then two, you got to have, uh, you know, the, the, in that small group, you got to have those few who are willing to do the crazy stuff that we do all the time. And, and we just haven't been able to find anyone like that, you know, who, who's interested on that level. So it's not for lack of trying. It's, I think more than anything, it's, it's for lack of options out there. There's just so few people out there doing it. 
I love uh, that there are more more people who don't look like me who are getting involved in this hobby. I just wish that we had the magic pill to make it more appealing, uh, even more appealing to those folks. And 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 I hope that people feel welcomed. Uh, I've never experienced any uh, negativity towards towards anyone uh, in in our homebrew. I think the the people who get the most shit in our homebrew club are those who show up just to drink and and drunk fest. That has nothing to do with their demographics, though. Uh, you know, those th- those are the ones that we try to avoid, or we kind of talk about behind their backs a little bit but other than that everyone has been very welcome and we, we've had some fantastic um you know female brewers in our in our homebrew club as well and uh it's good to see that kind of stuff i think some more interesting demographics and people always wonder why we ask these questions listen i'm a psychologist i'm, I'm curious like a cat you know I, I i like to know these things and i think it gives us an idea not only of what you know homebrewers look like but where we can where we can kind of focus and and maybe and it, it, i don't want to sound too haughty with this but maybe it can influence some of the decisions that we make uh, to make this hobby better. So 51% of people who responded to this survey, over half, reported that they make $100,000 or more annually, uh, you know, income-wise. Wow. I mean, I, that's just crazy. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine uh, and most hobbies are like that. Um, you know, it, I, I can't imagine as either, you know, some of these demographics make me feel like this is just like the uh, middle-aged white guy midlife crisis. You get, a, you get into homebrewing <laughs> or you get into barbecue yeah. kind of joke. Uh, yep. <laughs> it, it, it definitely feels that way, but yeah, definitely, you know, and then on top of that, 80% live in a home that they own. And, and that's not to say I don't know people that brew in apartments. I think, you know, Kate has been brewing an apartment for a long time. Uh, but you know, again, those are all kind of like things that are either they're just funny coincidence or, or there is just like a greater theme happening here. But, uh, you know, you also have your 20% or profession are as engineers or computer science, uh, and as somebody that works in a tech industry, like I can definitely speak into that. I think there is something in this hobby that draws technically minded people that, you know, not to harp on a previous podcast that that like view this like um, marriage of art and science together as like something very beautiful and attractive to them. And so yeah. um, so I think that's that's all very fascinating there. And, um, you know, kind of a little off topic. Uh, but you know, I saw somebody comment, I think it was Chris Kobe that like, he thought what was wrong with like homebrewing while I was detracting in, in, uh, popularity was like the, the BJCP, which I don't think that's a hundred percent the case, but I tried to give it like at least two seconds of like merit in my head. And you know, all of these industries, it's like engineering, computer science, technical industries, you know, they like to go to these kind of, they have these kind of like guidelines that they need to follow within these parameters. And the BJCP definitely, holds it there. And if you go to competitions, like everything's very focused on being within these parameters, being within these styles, being within this structure. And I wonder if that turns people off that are like a little more like, uh, creatively minded. Cause it seems like if you have that mindset that needs to be within these style guidelines, maybe that like just kind of turns you off from wanting that like creative spark. Cause you know, we have this blank canvas and there are some really talented people out there that can take this like blank canvas of these ingredients and like make something magical. Um, I'm not really one of those people, but um, I, I wonder. I wonder if like the so much focus on all of these, the structure kind of like inhibits them from wanting to come into it. Yeah, man, that's a really good point, and and something I want to spend some time chatting about. Again, just our opinions on what we can do to make homebrewing just more appealing to the masses overall. I do feel a little bit like I don't think it's the BJCP. I think it's the 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 vocal group of people out there. We all 
know them. We've all seen different groups of people who stand out and then they scream from their pulpit that you have to do it this way. And if you don't, you know, you're a shitty brewer who makes shit beer. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people just look at that and go, oh, that's not what I want to be involved with. I mean, shoot, I've been doing this for 20 years and I, I still feel that when I see that sometimes like, what am I doing here? This is these people do not represent us, but they are so vocal, uh, you know, and then, and then you see the, the back and forth. I mean, social media has changed homebrewing, you know, unquestionably you see the bickering back and forth between, you know, known people and brewing and, and what they're, all they're doing is sharing their opinions, but they're doing it in this like self-righteous sanctimonious way. And I just, I think when people see that, they're just, my, my hunch, if they're anything at all like me, which maybe they're not, there's, there's some pretty heavy eye rolling going on there. And it just makes this hobby not look so fun or welcoming overall, you know? Um, I, I, I don't know there's, there's a lot, of that, which is why we've approached, you know, that has influenced our approach overall, trying not to spin our data as being, you know, the, the end all be all <laughs> that you have to do something because we do it, uh, trying not to, to denigrate, you know, other approaches just because we don't do it, stuff like that. It's all good. Do what you want. This is just beer. But if you're going to preach, this is just beer, then you got to live by it as well. <laughs> and, and I feel like a lot of people online, whether you're going to Reddit or homebrew talk or Facebook, a lot of people would just want their voice to be heard and they want everybody to, to, to believe that, you know, they've got it figured out. It's just beer. Just chill out a little bit, you know? Well, and, and again, I'm not trying to imply that the BJCP is bad or anything like that. The BJCP it, it isn't bad. I, I like the BJCP. I love what they're doing, cataloging guidelines. So let me let me throw that out there before I get a bunch of emails. Um, but you know, I do like, you know, when you go to these clubs, like, what are you doing? Like so many people are judging just based off of a style guideline, just based off of this. If I, you know, if I hand you a beer, odds are the first thing you're going to ask me is like, well, what style is this? And so we kind of live within this structure. Um, but part of that is because it seems like a lot of structured, like professional engineering, computer science, technical people are the ones that are attracted to this hobby, which is, which is absolutely fascinating to me. Cause again, you know, and it's cool. Like you get to like thrive within the structure, um, but even competitions, like you're submitting it to be the best within this like certain guideline or confinement. And so like, there's not really, I know there's the special categories, but there's not really like a spot for this most creative style of beer or something. So like if you are, if you do have a creative slant, we've structured this in such a way where it feels maybe more structured than openly creative. And I know I've harped on that a little bit, but I just, just want to kind of like reiterate some of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, specifically BJCP, I love it as well. Uh, and, you know, I know that that Gordon, um, you know, and Kristen, both their hearts are in the right place. And and you have to understand that that's that is a document that was uh, that is largely intended for competition. <laughs> you know, that that is what it's for. It's it, the, each style creates this anchor that you judge a beer against. And uh, and for that purpose, I think it's beautiful. And I love the fact that, that the BJCP guidelines have become kind of this living document that they're willing to update. Uh, they're willing to integrate new styles, you know? Um, whether, the, who knows, maybe West Coast Pills will make it on their, you know, some on, in the next iteration. Who knows? But th- there there's, that is not, as confining as I think a lot of people view it as being. Again, you've got style dogmatists in every realm, whether it's brewing lager beers, brewing sour beers, styles in general, you've got people who are going to hardcore stick to what they read. That is perfectly fine. I, I appreciate those folks just as, as much as I do the creative ones out there who are making all of these new beers that, you know, some of which I may not be the biggest fan of, but others where I'm like, wow, I would never have thought to do this. You know, to me, it's all good. Uh, what, what, what I 
struggle with is the fight to make everyone else be just like you. I, that would be boring, you know? Um, what we need is diversity, not just in the way we look, but in the way we do things uh, in this hobby. And I think that's what's going to keep it alive. Um, what, what else? I mean, are, do you have any other ideas as to what might be done uh, on our level, you know, as just the peons who are, who are you know, at home brewing in our garages, as well as maybe on, on the, you know, the, 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 the bigger scale uh, to, to make this hobby more appealing to other people? Do we need to integrate things like making hard seltzer and making cider and, and make that a bigger part of what we're doing? Uh, is there anything like that? I mean, what do you think? So, I, so when we're talking about diversity here, I mean, there, there's an age diversity issue. Obviously, young people aren't getting into it. Um, there's an issue with sex, an issue with like, um, you know, cultural boundaries, uh, you know, racial ethic boundaries that, that need to be broken down. And so, you know, as the face of homebrewing, you and I, uh, bearded, middle-aged white men, I'm not sure that we are going to be the ones like I, I have fun spitballing about this, but we're not going to be the ones to answer this particular question necessarily. Cause again, you already pointed out, which is hundred percent accurate. We only see through the lens that we have, which is, yeah, I'm a, I'm a guy from Northeast Texas that, you know, happened to see some of the world and I can only see through that, you know, middle-aged white guy from Northeast Texas lens, uh, which is going to be different than your um, growing up on the West Coast with your aunt and uncle and a twin brother lens. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So it's going to be different no matter what. And so I think the way we use our influence and our positions here is th- I-, I think we can promote thoughtful conversations, especially with the people that we're like kind of interested in bringing into the hobby. And if we can facilitate those like thoughtful, meaningful conversations to reach like understanding or to reach, uh, you know, betterment, I, th- I think that's the idea isn't going to come from you and me or necessarily, or maybe even the, you know, AHA or anybody like that. It's going to come from one of these, uh, probably a younger person, uh, maybe, a, maybe a female, maybe somebody in the LGBTQ community, someone, someone with those kinds of slants are going to be the one that have probably the best ideas to get people, um, from different backgrounds into this hobby. It's not going to be the, the current face of homebrewing, which is you and I probably. Yeah, there. So I, 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 agree with that. And that's not to say that I don't want to be a part of encouraging people who don't look like us. I think, I think this, the, you know, um, the, the concern that I have is looking that like, like, Oh, I'm the one who can figure out how to get people who don't look like me involved in this. I I'm owning that. I don't think I have the ability to do that because of my blinders that are up by being, you know, the stereotypical home brewer. Uh, but at the same time, I'm open to any ideas that anybody might have to make this more appealing and by, and supporting those people who don't look like us. And I, I want to keep doing that. Um, I, I, again, there's a blanket, I think, understanding that you and I share here that, that we are blinded by, uh, the, the, our, I I hate this word because it's become so political, but privilege, you know, by, by what we were born with, it makes it very difficult to understand what others who don't look like us are going through in this. And I know that this is just beer and brewing, whatever it's, it's the same thing, I think. And it's a small analog of what's happening in the real world. Uh, but we'll leave it at that. Um, we are absolutely open to doing whatever we can to make this hobby more, uh, more appealing to everybody out there. Now we we don't usually cover reader comments on these Bruise Views episodes, but I felt like doing so for this one as people made some really good points, asked some decent questions that I'd like to address uh, on the article. Now, just for clarification's sake, uh, in the intro of the results article that I wrote for this survey, I mentioned how a number of survey respondents left some pretty nasty comments on the actual survey itself. So we ask a question on the survey, and rather than answering it, they wrote in some just gnarly stuff that blew my mind that homebrewers would act like this. Now, I suppose that's to be expected when any, you know, 
anything that's anonymous. Uh, there's one comment thread on our article. Uh, you can go find it on the website, brewlosophy.com, where a couple of folks make some claims about the AHA and their, quote, political agenda. Uh, I have no interest in getting political here. And for that reason, I've decided not to include that very lengthy thread on this episode. Julia Hertz from the AHA actually got involved in it. However, I would like to say that all of us here at Brewlosophy not only want to see more diversification in homebrewing, but less vitriol and hate in this hobby as well as the world in general. Why anyone would be against any attempt to make anything more welcoming to everybody is beyond me. I mean, you have to be pretty insecure in yourself to think that there's anything of value in being such a dick to other people. Now, if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you're very well aware that we refrain from discussing uh, things that are a little bit too touchy lest we hurt the the wrong person's feelings. And honestly, we intend to keep it that way. But if you're going to try to use Brilosophy as a platform to express your bigoted views, we're going to call you out. So, uh, all right, I'm going to get off my soapbox there. First comment comes from Swiss Rob, who says, interesting as always, I'm surprised how few homebrewers use the no sparge method, which I use and copied from Marshall's setup. No sparge, that, that is basically uh, brewing a bag just without the bag. You can use the bag for no sparge. It just means that you're not rinsing those grains. What do you think is responsible for that decline as well, uh, uh, Will? So um, I, I think one thing like because the the rise of electric all in one systems is coming up and and I at least know with like the Brazilas and then that I used to use and then the deltas that I currently use like they don't hold quite enough liquid to do no sparge unless you start reducing your batch sizes down you know to closer to, to four gallons and so it just may be a function of of equipment in some ways because again if you're using an electric all in one it's actually kind of hard to get your complete volume in there unless you're doing a really low ABV beer. Yeah, or if you've got a bigger setup. I mean, that that was, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like the Brusillas, if you want to make a five, five and a half gallon batch, pretty standard, you're going to struggle to do a, an actual no sparge in there. I think though, that the reason no sparge, the no sparge uh, that we asked specifically, no sparge method, right? That the, you're seeing those numbers go down is because you're seeing more people reporting brew in a bag uh, or, brew, or brew in a basket, as it were, with these all-in-one systems. And so that's kind of uh, fudging those numbers a little bit. They're still doing essentially no sparge. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I think I think it's kind of like I, I do think there are some of these things that kind of overlap and and it, it's kind of hard to like just totally zoom in on this one no sparge because, again, there there's different ways to do this with even like a batch sparge system. You could do no sparge. It's just it looks different than we do a Bruna bag. Yeah, totally. And, and, uh, you know, no sparge is great. Uh, that's, you know, that's still what I do. It's just brewing a bag in my electric system. So I get it. Some people made some comments like, well, you know, I, I use a, uh, you know, an all in one electric system with a brew bag, no sparge. So how do I respond to these questions that you, you got to kind of figure something out? Cause they are, you know, they are kind of overlapping there in, in terms of your technique. Our intention with that question was, are you doing specifically like no sparge in a, in a mash ton, the old classic way, or are you doing brew in a bag or are you using an all-in-one system which is designed for these you know kind of quasi sparge um, uh, methods so next comment comes from Chris he says as someone in several of the very tiny slivers on the demographic questions I am not surprised at the negative comments um, that though always disappointing certainly plenty of work to do on that front what Chris is referring to were these nasty comments that some people left on the survey Uh, the fact that it's not surprising um, I think that's I don't know. That's just a bummer to me. Um, it was surprising to me, but um, so something I hate is that we talk about diversity and there's this immediate like political connotation that comes up, and I really hate that that's the case. Um, it really shouldn't be political. In fact, we sometimes use these numbers to like look at statistics to kind of like dehumanize it, but know that behind all these statistics are people. 
and they're actual individual human beings. And every human being, I don't care where you're coming from, whatever deserves a level of respect. Yeah. Um, and so to me, like, it's also very disappointing. Like I wish that wasn't the case. Um, I mean, you don't have to agree with everything, but they all deserve a a measure of respect and a level of, of, of love of the same love that you'd give your neighbor or yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I was reading through this long thread. Uh, these two, these two folks were, were kind of going back and forth, um, on the website. I'm not a big fan of censorship. So as long as it doesn't get too awful, I feel like it's, it's, you know, I think it's better for people to be able to see that there are folks who have these different opinions and such out there. Um, what, what kind of occurred to me is that there's this, it seems like, uh, there's, there's a segment of people around these days, whether that's in homebrewing or in life in general, who seem to think that if, or or that the desire to want to make something more diversified and and inclusive is automatically viewed as them pushing an agenda. And, and I, I, I feel like that can only come from a place of concern or fear that's, that's, that is rooted in some belief system because, because otherwise it's just what it is. It's just a push to try to make things more diversified, to try to, to, to be more inclusive, to, to welcome more people. But if you, if automatically the attempt to do that is going to be spun as this political attempt to liberalize whatever it is, then, then we've got issues somewhere else. Then the, the, the issue isn't necessarily, you know, on the folks who are trying to push it, but I think it's the people who are interpreting that. And I, I can't for the life of me as somebody who has the weirdest set of opinions you know, that are my own, that I don't feel like everybody has to follow. I can't understand why anybody would feel that it's appropriate, would think that it is helpful in any way, or, uh, or even to think it was kind of funny, uh, to say some of the things that some of the respondents to this survey said, I mean, and you can, you can imagine what questions those were on. Um, most of them had to do with the, the gender and sex questions. What, what gets into people to think that that's going to have some good impact? Maybe they don't care. I mean, maybe they are the, you know, they're, they're the apathetic ones who have kind of given up. I don't know, but it's, it's just wild to me. I, I can't relate with that. And I, and I usually pride myself on at least being able to understand other perspectives. And that one just doesn't jive, you know? Well, you know, there is this kind of level, like we I briefly touched on like in grouping and out grouping and there, and there is this level we don't not to get too psychological here, but you know, we're talking about this. There, there is this level <laughs> yeah. of like tribalism that still exists in modern society where we just have like the kind of, if you're not with us, you're against us kind of mentality yeah. that doesn't value like a diverse group within those, those kind of um, tribal subsets for lack of a better word. And so like, you know, tribalism we view as this ancient thing that nobody, you know, tribes across the river aren't trying to kill each other anymore, but it's very much exists in our human psychology. And it's very fascinating to kind of watch it play out in a more modern context. It, it's yeah. just also disappointing. Yeah, it is. That I think that's the best word. Is it's just kind of disappointing to see. Uh, on that note, though, and I know this this rubs some people the wrong way as well. I'm I'm the type of person who doesn't understand fighting uh, hate with hate, right? And I know that sounds awful, and that it's like excuse making, but it's not. I am not condoning uh, anything any of these people do. I just genuinely believe that the only way we're going to find common ground is by being polite to each other, even if the other person isn't being polite. Um, and that's just a personal philosophy that I live by. So hey, for those of you out there who are leaving these horrible comments uh you know if you want a beer and you want to talk it through hit me up sometime <laughs> you know i'll do that with you uh, but I'll, I'll be sure to let you know what we really think because I, I think it's important uh that everyone out there know that this is a welcoming uh community of people overall uh you know despite the few uh out there who, who the bad apples as it were so uh we got a couple more comments that had to do uh had to do with qu- questions relating to the survey and the responses and uh, you know overall the first one comes from dave who says losing almost half the previous year's respondents 
existence is pretty shocking. As a scientist, no doubt you have a hypothesis or two about this. What are your thoughts? And then Adrian M. also kind of hits on this and he says, how did you solicit responses? I'm subscribed to the website and I get emails notifying me of new posts, but I never saw anything about the survey. I had no idea it existed. Maybe that's why you got a thousand less responses. So so um, here's my perspective. I do have a hypothesis or two, Dave. I think they're going to be a lot more uh, basic than, than maybe you're uh, hoping for. Um, but we did post an article to the website as we have done every single year in the same exact manner. And it was called, I, I believe it was called uh, the 2023 homebrewer, you know, general homebrewer survey uh, released or something like that. It was out there uh, and we did all of the same thing. Now, I, I don't talk too much about why we do the things we do or where we promote things and all that. We have not been posting as often to Reddit because that community, um, out of respect for that community who, who you know, had, had a, a decent amount of people from that community made it very well known that they did not like our participation in that forum. And so we backed off a little bit out of respect for that community. We have since heard from another much larger swath of people that they do appreciate uh, uh, having us around, you know, in the Reddit community. And so it maybe that did have an impact, but I don't think it had the biggest impact. I went back and looked at past, uh, at past survey responses and it was a roughly similar number of people who found it through Reddit uh, back then as did, as they did this time, even though, uh, you know, we didn't post it directly to Reddit. Um, people are still finding the website through Reddit. Um, and, and I just don't think that that explains fully, at least the, the lack of responses that we got this year, my hypothesis, and, and this is the big bummer is just that there aren't as many people interested. There aren't as many people reading the website. There aren't as many people involved in brewing. Um, and we've been lucky enough to kind of survive through this and, you know, still be able to do what we're doing. I, I just don't think there's as many people out there who are, who are brewing and that that's what we're seeing. I think this is a direct reflection of that. Obviously, it is a cut from the you know the the cloth of the brewlosophy the people who are interested in brewlosophy but we did share this on other forums that aren't specifically brewlosophy related and we had a lot of people you know take the take the survey from there as well i i can't say exactly what it's from but i i honestly do think maybe you disagree with me will that it is just a reflection of the um, this kind of decline in in brewing and home brewing altogether i feel like it, as much as it hurts to say that we have to be honest with ourselves that this we're kind of losing people at this point um, I, I wish I could have some good reason to totally disagree with you. Um, I wish there was like a, an easier, uh, explanation or a box to tick. I wish it was just that you didn't post enough on Reddit. Um, <laughs> I really wish all those things were true. I just, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Marshall. It's just the, the hobby as a whole is declining. Beer consumption as a whole is, is declining. There's a whole lot of things going on right now that, uh, it just puts us all in a decline. And so, um, you know, maybe, you could have gotten a couple hundred more people had you posted it and read it, but I don't think anything explains the drop off that is this significant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And for those wondering, well, maybe you didn't have the survey out there long enough. We actually left it open three weeks longer than usual uh, this year than we have in the past. And again, we shared it in, in every, every forum that, that, you know, all of our social media, we pushed it in other forums as much as uncomfortable as that is for us. Um, it's just, I think it's just a sign of where things are today. And as big of a, of a bummer as that can be, we do still have a very strong community of people who are so dedicated to this thing. Um, you know, and I'm talking about 
home brewers across the world. Uh, and we are the ones who are going to be responsible for making it uh, better and for bringing more people in and making it more, uh, you know, appealing to those who, who, who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't brew like us. Uh, and I think that is our number one goal for now. If anybody has any ideas as to what we can do at Brewlosophy to make that, you know, make it more that way, then let us know. We're open to all of that stuff. So that is all the time we've got for this episode. I know we did not cover nearly, not even close to everything that the survey did. So if you want to go read more about it and you happen to miss that article, you can go to brewlosophy.com. Will, do you have any final comments before uh, before we end this episode? Um, I, I really love this survey. I do think it's a great thing. I think it's a great starting point because while, while I did say that I don't know that you or I are the exact spark that's going to ignite all the change, I do think we can be facilitators for that change. I do think philosophy for who we are, uh, I think we are promoting thoughtful conversation. We'll pr- continue to promote thoughtful conversation. And so if anyone wants to have a thoughtful conversation about anything we discussed today, I'm happy. Just reach out with an email and I'm happy to have those conversations. Yeah, there's a reason we're called Brewlosophy. You know, my my heart uh, was in was in brewing and philosophy. Those are the, kind of the two things I geeked out on at the time I started this. Um, and and that on that philosophy side, that brewlosophical side, if you will. Um, I've always wanted to be open to being honest and talking about this stuff in a way that it doesn't usually get talked about. So if you have ideas, we are more than open to sharing, uh, you know, some of some of your thoughts on an episode. We've done full episodes just on on listener feedback before because we value that and we think it's important that others hear your thoughts and see the different perspectives that people have. So I do feel like that is whether it's us facilitating it or not. I do feel like that is one of the more positive roles that we as people with a voice in homebrewing can have uh, on the hobby. And I, I just hope to see things get better uh, from here on out. So don't forget to subscribe to The Brew Lab, where host Kate Job takes you into the lab with brewing scientists to discuss the fascinating research they've performed. And make sure to keep up with all of our beer and brewing antics over at brewlosophy.com. The Brewlosophy podcast is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, as well as all of our rad listeners. We seriously could not do this without you. Cheers to everyone who has subscribed and left a review of our show. It makes a huge difference. If you haven't yet, please consider doing so. Head over to brewlosophy.com support to view a list of ways you can easily help us to continue producing this podcast. If you want a reward for your support, visit patreon.com brewlosophy. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Brewlosophy podcast. Until then, think beer. The morning with some hot tea, lemon and honey, cause it soothes my bro. Put some herb in the bowl, yeah, it's homegrown. Ain't gotta go through the middle man no more.